grace and mercy and peace belong to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God before us this morning is from our gospel lesson from the Gospel of Luke. God the Son came here. God the Son became a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. And on our behalf, he lived a holy life, the, the, the kind of life that we know that, we are, that we're supposed to live, but we have failed to live. He lived that life in our place. And then all of the failures and all of the sins and wrongs that haunt us or perhaps do not haunt us, he took all of them and he carried them to the cross and he paid for them in full through his suffering and death on the cross. And then three days later, he raised himself back to life. So that now, through faith in him, our spirit-created faith, you and I stand forgiven. We are blanketed in his holiness. We are his. He guides us moment by moment until that moment he takes us home to heaven. But between this moment and that moment when he does take us home to heaven... How do you and I regard our relationship with Jesus in the day by day? That's a big question, and that's an important question. To look at that from a couple of different angles, let's start off with this picture, this picture. And we will use the, the tandem bicycle, the bicycle built for two, to consider our relationship with Jesus. It is very easy, especially in our American culture, of, of how Americans often view Christianity and the gospel and Jesus, is to kind of look at Jesus like this. Well, here we are, it's Jesus and me, riding through life, on a bicycle built for two, on a tandem. Hey, he's right by my side, he's my pal, he's my buddy, he's my friend. I'm in front. But whenever I need a little encouragement, I just turn around and I see Jesus. Or whenever I get a little anxious, feel like I can't do it on my own, turn around, there's Jesus, giving me the, hands, the, 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 the thumbs up. Whenever I feel a little weak, and discouraged, turn around. There's Jesus. He's there to strengthen me. Give me a booster. That is a popular view of our relationship with Jesus. And brothers and sisters, it is easy to think that's how it is. Jesus is by my side. Boy, I'm glad I know about Jesus because it just is good to know that he's there when I need him. There's some problems with that picture if we unpack it just a bit. One, it, it makes Jesus pretty dull, pretty dull. If you've ever heard people say, oh, Christianity's boring. Well, yeah, if that's your view of Jesus, yep, I admit, pretty dull. But more important and even more serious 
if that's my picture of Jesus, then it's pretty easy for my old sinful self to ignore Jesus and to keep my back turned on him whenever I feel like it. Whenever I want to do what I want to do and maybe not look to the Lord for his will for my life, well, maybe I don't have to turn around. And whenever I want to center on things that I want to center on, well, maybe I'll just conveniently keep my back turned and I'll keep pedaling and steering. But most of all, and most serious, this picture of my relationship with Jesus does not fit at all with the picture the Lord Jesus himself gives us through the living and enduring word of God. Which brings us to the living and enduring word of God in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. Here's the setting. Jesus and his disciples have been together about two years by this point. At this moment in time, Jesus and his disciples are about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And they are, they are near a town called Caesarea Philippi. We know some of these extra details from other Gospels that give details about this same episode. And Jesus is walking along, walking along with his disciples, The crowds are there, but they're further away. And Jesus is praying. And that's where Luke picks up this account. It says that the disciples were with him. And then Jesus asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? He wants them to consider what his identity is. And they answer, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, prominent prophet from the Old Testament. Others that one of the prophets of old has risen. John the Baptist, by the way, by the, had, had recently been put to death, and some thought maybe he's John the Baptist, back from the dead. So there were various opinions going on amongst the crowds. But now Jesus uses that opener to focus on them. And he says, but who do you say? That I am. And God the Holy Spirit empowers Peter to speak not only for himself, but no doubt on behalf of the others. And Peter answers, the Christ of God. The Christ of God. In that short answer, the Christ of God, Peter is confessing that Jesus is the one. He is the one that God centuries earlier, thousands of years earlier, had promised to send at just the right time to deliver his people according to Old Testament prophecy. But then Jesus, in response, does a curious, it seems like a curious thing, he tells the disciples, don't tell anybody that that I'm the Christ, the Messiah. What is up with that? Well, as you know, context is everything, right? Context is everything. And in the context of this immediate moment, at this immediate time in Jesus' ministry, the word Messiah 
was a politicized word. It was just supercharged with politics. Say the word Messiah, and a whole bunch of people would think, oh, yeah, that's, that's the person that God is going to send, who, who's going to be a great military leader, and he is going to drive these hated Romans out of here once and for all, and that Messiah is going to bring back the glory days of, of King David, and we're going to be top dog again, and we're going to be top of the heat, we're going to be the superpower in this region, and there's go we're going to have power, and we're going to have victory, and we're going to have prosperity. That's what the Messiah is going to do. And so Jesus did not want that word to get out there, and all of a sudden, all these crowds are triggered in completely the wrong direction as to why he had come. So for this moment in time, he said, don't say it right now. Rather, Jesus goes on to say, this is what's going to happen to me. He goes on to say, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So in the days to come, instead of days of victory and, 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 and power and prosperity and glory, Jesus is saying, hard days are coming. Very hard days. The days are coming when he will take upon himself all the sins of all people of all time. And he will be rejected by the, the religious establishment. And he will go to the cross. And he, Jesus, will endure the divine punishment that you and I deserve for all of our sin. And he will stay on that cross until every sin is paid in full, washed away in his blood. And then three days later, to demonstrate that he really is who he claims to be, he will rise from the dead. And then having said all that about what is going to happen to him, Jesus then goes on to say something which, is, which seems counterintuitive. Counterintuitive, that, that word. Counterintuitive is, is it, it, it seem, what Jesus says seems to go against what would make sense. But this is what he says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Who of us has the ability to deny ourselves? Every fiber in our being is about us. And yet that's what he says. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. When Jesus speaks about taking up the cross he is speaking about any difficulty, any hardship, any pain, any suffering, any kind of unpleasantness that you and I must experience as a result of being a Christian, as the result of being a follower of Jesus Christ. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And then Jesus speaks what seems to be an apparent contradiction. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever would save his life will lose it. 
But from Jesus' perspective, that is absolutely true. If I make my life all about me, that I am the number one priority in my life and, and the purpose of my life is to arrange my life in such a way that life is most convenient and easiest and most comfortable for me with the least amount of muss and fuss and the least amount of pain, the least amount of suffering. If that's the route that I take, sure, I'll enjoy a few temporary luxuries for a few years, but then it will all go away and my soul will be lost alone. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That when instead God the Holy Spirit through the gospel empowers me for my life to be all about Christ, for my eyes of faith to be filled with Him and not myself, when the Holy Spirit does that through the gospel, then I am His and He is mine and He carries me through and heaven is my home, forgiven, covered in His holiness, beloved, part of His family. Whoever would save His life will lose it, but whoever loses His life for my sake will save it. Which brings us to that second picture of our relationship with Jesus day by day. Remember the old picture? Jesus, Jesus and me, riding a tandem. I'm in the front because I'm more comfortable there. The second picture, however, the second picture, yeah, we're still riding that tandem. But Jesus is in front. And I am happily along for the ride. You see, when God the Holy Spirit through his gospel empowers me to trust Jesus as my Savior from sin, that through him I am fully forgiven and I am covered in his holiness and, and heaven is my home and he's with me day by day, that same gospel also empowers me to trust my Savior's will for my life. That means that I will happily be on the back end of that tandem with Jesus steering and taking me where I need to go in this fallen world. And that same gospel empowers me happily to bear whatever cross or crosses my Savior deems that I need to bear. Brothers and sisters, What's the cross or crosses in your life right now? In a room like this and back uh, home via live stream, there are all kinds. Perhaps your cross right now is just straight ahead persecution from others. Perhaps you are in a position where you are taking pushback and ridicule and sneers from others who do not know Christ because they know you belong and follow Jesus. Or perhaps you are battling 
peer pressure. You know, we use that term peer pressure, a lot of times we think, yeah, in grade school and high school we have to deal with peer pressure. Don't we all know that you and I have to deal with peer pressure our whole lives? No matter how old we are, perhaps, perhaps it's people at work, perhaps it's lifelong neighbors, perhaps it's lifelong friends, perhaps it's members of our own family that in subtle or not so subtle ways they try to pressure us to make Jesus less of a priority in our life. Or perhaps the cross you are following is, are, are, are the specific, unique temptations that you have to fight. Maybe others don't have to fight them, but you got to fight them. And not the kind of temptation that comes in once in a while. It's the one that you're fighting every day. And then when you fall, you come to repentance and through receiving the assurance of God's forgiveness in Jesus that refreshes you and empowers you to fight the fight all over again the next day. Or perhaps the cross you are fighting and bearing has to do with your health. That your poor health, the devil is using as an opportunity to target you and to drive you into a kind of despair over your health. Perhaps there's family strife going on in your life right now, and the devil is using that to target you, to drive you towards cynicism or apathy about your relationship with God. Perhaps you are fighting financial pressures right now, and the devil is using that to target you as a Christian so that you're looking at Jesus less and less, and you're looking at your money concerns more and more. Or perhaps you find yourself right now in the darkness of grief over the loss of someone you love dearly. And the devil is trying to use that to smother you in the darkness of grief, hoping that you will forget that even in the darkness of grief, Jesus, the light of the world, is right there to carry you through Whatever cross or crosses you are bearing right now, those are crosses that your Savior, who is pedaling in front, is looking upon you to bear. Why? We can't answer that fully. We cannot. He may have purposes that will not even occur to us until we get home to heaven. But there's one that we can point to that through it all, including how you and I bear our crosses in following our Savior, that in so doing, you and I are proclaiming Jesus Christ in a fallen world that desperately needs to learn of him. Now, does that make for an easy life for you and me? Oh, no. That makes for a life that is hard, Difficult, painful, often full of suffering. But it's a life that's meaningful. It's a life that matters. It's a life that has the most important purpose there is. And that's what you and I have. 
when through faith in Jesus, we pick up the cross and follow him. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Jesus. Amen.